0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's happening today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
1: Today is a blue chip day on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
0: Oh, I like that. It is blue chip. Yeah. We've got a blue chip artist. He's been around for a long time. Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. Yes. He's someone I've been a fan of for a very long time. It's a thrill. You know, I was first discovering punk. This was a guy. He was it. He was the dude. He, he was, was the. Punk dude. He was one of the the original dudes. So yeah, we're going to talk to the original dude. This is Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. He talked for a long time. So Holly's going to chop up a lot of this stuff and put it up on YouTube. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. So check out the outtakes on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make podcast, and you'll hear some good Steve Diggle stories.
0: Indeed, you will. The reason we're talking with Steve is they've got uh, the Buzzcocks have a new album that's coming out, and it's called Sonics in the Soul. Even though Pete Shelley's not around, as you'll hear in this interview, he keeps the memory of Pete alive, and it's really very touching. So why don't we get right into this talk? This is Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
2: Hello, man. Can you
0: hear me? I can hear. We can hear. Where are you?
2: (laughs) Home in London in my garden. (laughs) All right. I'm at the back bit of it. I mean, it's a long garden, but I'm (laughs) at the strip of it. The pump bit. My little shed where I do some work. (laughs) But the garden goes on a long way. the back end of the garden, and there's my little hillbilly shed there from Hicksville. Oh, nice. Uh, This is where I retreat away. (laughs) That's so nice. I wrote a lot of the songs in that garden, in that little shed there. Mm. Even though I have a music room in the house, but... uh, (laughs) You Know it's more organic doing it like that,
0: yeah,
1: inspired by the outdoors.
0: You've been there for a while?
2: No, I've just raced back from the pub actually. I had to go for a stroll for a while, so I just called in the pub for a little while. And I ain't been there too long, and I've dashed back to do this.
1: <laughs> Thank you, welcome back. Oh, oh, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, for
0: like how long have you owned this this uh, property, your house?
1: Oh, about 30 years.
0: Oh, is that okay? okay. Did Harmony in your head buy this house?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably worth a million dollars or more. Yeah.
0: Not too bad. <laughs>
2: Let's get this right. though. Well, that's not the reason I wrote that song. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, shit comes along when it people pay you for this shit, you know. But yeah.
0: you know, we're Americans, so I want to make sure. Forty degrees Celsius is.
1: I think it might be one hundred and ten. Yeah, that's an average
2: day in LA or Texas, isn't it? Yeah, Fahrenheit. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It is hot, but it's okay.
0: I guess so, because you're doing this outside. I mean, what the hell, man? What the
1: all right. I'm already so already sitting in air conditioning. Right. Yeah. I know. If I see, sta- if
0: I start seeing sweat stains from you, we'll, we'll, uh, I we'll,
1: did
2: my base training tour in America for years, you know, so I get it.
0: Yeah. Was it in 77, 78. When did, uh, when, when was your first U.S. tour of duty? <laughs>
2: uh, about 78, yeah. But yeah, I remember going to LA and it was at 104 degrees. That was, you know, things like that. And Texas and stuff. And, you know, it's hot, yeah.
0: Everyone in England is always surprised at the at how huge the United States actually is. Is that uh, what you found? Like, how, how big is this country?
2: Actually, it's small when you go around for two or three months. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. found it is a big country, trip. But, I mean, we used to fly everywhere in the early days, 78. we were forever run into the airports. Oh, okay. Then we tried on the tour buses, and the thing was then that um, you'd start off, like, in Florida, and then... By the time you got to Niagara Falls, it'd be raining and, you know, you'd step out of the tour bus in t t-shirt and it'd be like, fuck, you need, you need like a, a park or something, you know, it's freezing here. You used to see all the different elements, you know, on a two-month tour all the way around. Then you get to L.A. and it was all sunny again and Frisco and stuff. Every time you stepped out of the tour bus, you didn't know what weather you was going to get.
1: <laughs> Where did you play in Los Angeles?
2: Well, we played lots of places. Um, Santa Monica Civic in the early days. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like like but that's where uh, Bowie played a long time ago. You know, that's yeah. right. Yeah.
2: And I remember passing there and thinking, Elvis Costello was playing the Whiskey of Go-Go. And I thought, when are we going to play? And suddenly we turned up at a Santa Monica City. and Somebody actually smashed the front window there and he said, we'll never play there again. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> awful. Um, but we actually did. But yeah, Bowie played there, didn't he, and stuff like that. We did the Palace one time, and then immediately after we did... Uh, the johnny depp club you know little jess did a vapor room yeah it was when river phoenix had just died yeah it was a heavy night yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it was kind of a nice interesting night
0: really was it that same around that same time
2: it was a few weeks after river phoenix had just died i think wow okay I think we got the best cocaine that night. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Better. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bad stuff. The <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's what Johnny told me. <laughs> so many many happy memories of LA, you know, and things like that.
1: And Santa Monica Civic is bigger than the whiskey. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah you were a much bigger band than Elvis Costello, yeah. bigger well, artist.
2: Exactly, yeah. yeah, you just kind of think they kind of went over early in the police. And yeah. I remember when the first got to the States in New York, and they going, what do you think of these punk bands? And it's like, well, the police and Elvis Costello had just left the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and so it seemed a little bit weird, you know. Of course, on that tour, we did the Irving Plaza, the first gig, there were two nights there, and the Ramones turned up, which was a great honour, actually. They kind of said, we do these kind of, well, they do them linear ones, and they said, you go off on these little... You know, tangent to little bits and the songs. That's amazing, man. But it was a great honor for the Ramones to be there on your first time in the States. Back
0: mm-hmm. in- so they were the ambassadors for you guys?
2: Well, it was just like when we started, their album had come out just as we was making our record, the Spiral Scratch, the early record. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like, wow, you know, that inspired us that Ramones record, like it did almost everybody, really. It's like suddenly there they are, you know. Us, we put all the bits and pieces in there <laughs> it's not just straight ahead you know they're like tiny totally little bits you know
1: it seems fitting
2: um, yeah and you know it, it was kind of like it kind of f- come full circle really quick you know it's like well we heard your album yeah. but it it wasn't just that inspired us. it was probably bowie and Brian, you know all kinds of people really you know i, I do remember that about the first tour, and like i say by the time we got to la but it, Sound of Monica Civic, you know. <laughs> well,
0: what was that? Who who else was on that bill? Do you remember? Like, who who did you guys play with?
2: You know, I can't remember because, well, I always thought, you don't take America. America takes you. Yes. We did many tours. <laughs> and Tim himself had to get out of town, didn't he, over a while? Mm-hmm. We embraced America and loved it. And they, we, we took about two years to come to the stage because we had about eight uh, 10 hits over here on the Top of the Pops TV show and we was doing Europe and we was asked to go to America. But it, we, we, you know, it was it all these things going on over here. So it took us two years. So when we did come, people had been waiting two years, really. Yeah. You know, it did work out right, you know. Yeah. Hence the Santa Monica Civic was quite euphoric and amazing for us, you know, first time in America. The great thing is I think they got the buscocks right away, which was good, you know. What I did love, they said, you, you've got to kick ass in America. you've got to rock, you've got to race the game, kind of thing, and uh, and we did. We embraced that, you know. That's what I loved about it. it was, America at that time, it, it wasn't, like Britain and Europe, it can be a little bit, bit finicky or, you know, arty and all that, which which is all the cool thing. But in America, if you get out and rock there proper, then you know that kind of works, and I kind of love that thing. It's it's a bit more organic and straight to the point. You know, as well as the arty bits. But um, there was something great about that and and, and those those tours. You know.
1: Do you remember doing radio promotion? Remember oh, yeah. any radio promotion when you were here? Yeah, but I
2: remember the first interview. The guy said, um, "You're called the Buzzcocks. You'll <laughs> never. What what is that kind of thing?"
1: It's different here than it is. There. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, you're going, is it a bird or is it some kind of sexual vibration or something? A buzzcock? What is it? You know, And we would kind of joined two words out of the paper. It was a review of a TV show and um, it said, have a good hyphen cock. So we put the two words together and buzzcocks, but there wasn't such a thing as a bus you know. But as Plato said, by giving something name something the name of something, therefore it gives definition. So I think we define the name, you know what I mean? But um we were sure we wouldn't get anywhere in America with a name like that. <laughs>
0: because of the name Buzzcocks, or because you had a song, Orgasm Addict, was there, you, you weren't gonna get much radio airplay, or or was there pressure? Yeah. Like, we, okay, we gotta, we gotta get a hit in America, we've got hits in the U.K., did you want a hit in the yeah. U.S.?
2: <laughs> we was, I just remember, you know, your first sort of interview, I, I, I wish I remember the station, uh, somewhere in New York. He uh, said, I gotta tell you Steve, with a name like that, you're not gonna get far in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody told me you know what maybe we will now you've said that you know because <laughs> right but it kids kind going to you can't say that on the radio you know some sexual device or this this you know, thing but oh this kind of thing. it's like don't worry you know uh, but uh, yeah there was that and then of course along came the first single on a major rebel United Artists and uh, it was all orgasmatic you're looking for a hit <laughs> I think you're doing it all wrong, son.
3: Well, you've tried it just for once, found it all right for kicks. But now you find out that it's a habit that sticks. And you're an orgasm addict. You're an orgasm addict. Sneaking in the back door with might seem So your mother wants to know what all the stains on your jeans. And you're an all
2: I mean, we was following the flow. I mean, we, you know, we were 20 years old. Everybody knew what an orgasm was, surely. Yeah, right. And I think it was probably inspired by something out of uh, William Burroughs book to start with, you know. (laughs) But but the release date over here for that, we were suddenly told it's got to be put back. Because the record label had to negotiate with a pressing plant. that they said we won't print this filth, you know. Really? Orgasm addicts and stuff. You know, we had to try and explain to him it was kind of poetry, you know. Right. And an orgasm is, you know, a fundamental biological thing, of what, you know, perhaps it's all based on a little bit <laughs> in the world.
1: But it's an actual so, word. It's not even slang. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I can't
2: remember they told me about orgasms at school, but, you know, everybody knew what one was. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like it was shocking anybody, really, but it did kind of... You know, they wouldn't press the record; it was delayed, Nora. Hence, you got all them things in the punk days, and it was probably a different world then in terms of what you could say or, uh, or explicit or something. But the great thing about that, and there's many people still come to the shows now, and that go, "When I was 16, I bought that record, Orgasm I was playing upstairs, and my folks had come running up. What the fuck are you listening to up there? Orgasm Turn the amount of people that have come backstage and said, you know, the folks have gone banging on their bedroom door, turn that filter. off. <laughs> they
1: knew you were doing something right, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and it was a you know biology lesson as well. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe if anybody didn't know what it was that brought the record, they could find out yeah. <laughs> in their <Yeah>. own time. <laughs> educational, yeah, educational, yeah. Never thought about it at the time, but yeah, you know, it would have been, yeah. (laughs) That was the kind of nature back in 76, 77, that kind of thing, you know, with all that. Everything was shocking, it seems, didn't it?
0: Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks is the person we're talking to. We're going to take a break right now and be right back.
1: Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks.
0: With the, the Pistols had toured earlier, did, they, did like Steve Jones come back to you and tell you, oh, my God, America, because they toured the South. Did he give you a warning like, OK, don't do this, don't do that, be careful of this <laughs> or, or just do whatever you got to do? <laughs>
2: we're from Manchester, it's like coming from New Jersey or something. Like that one freak us out. You know, we did those shows in the early days. We brought the pistols to Manchester and opened up from, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of amazing because I remember this the, the elevator door opening and they fell out like a glamorous New York dolls. Well, in Manchester, you know, it was um, nobody'd seen things like that really. You know, they were sort of bright and colourful against this great backdrop you know it was like being in Milwaukee or something you know what I mean (laughs) or Michigan or something it's like fuck nobody dresses like that around here you know it's not safe by the time we got to America I didn't see them for now but um, I just remember when we got there we, we loved it and probably, like, via seeing Bowie tour America and the Beatles and the Stones, all that kind of thing. Because growing up with the American writers, Jack Kerouac and all that kind of stuff, it's like, we want to go to America and well, it should be a bit crazy. <laughs> and just the Cold Jack thing, of that classic steam on the streets, all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that was very romantic okay. in the, you know, early 70s, pre-punk and stuff. So there was all that. But the amazing thing is, it's like, I think Buzzcocks had a good connection with the American audiences you know they were kind of ready for us and uh, that was a great thing and I think they kind of understood what we were doing you know they were into it and uh, that was an amazing thing because it's like we're going to America a lot of bands go there a lot of things but they did embrace us and we embraced the States Mm -hmm. as well and loved it hence we went yeah, a lot of times as much as we could, you know. And we had some great shows. There, lots of
0: them. Are you going to be coming to the states? You've got, you know, as an album. We've got an. You've got an album. Yeah. You're still. You're still kicking, man. I love it. Uh, you got Sonics in the Soul that's coming out uh, September, but you're you're starting to play some shows. And and actually, I was looking at the set list. You're playing a, a number of songs from this album.
2: Yeah, it's been quite amazing because um, pre-COVID, we did eleven shows and we had a single out then called Got to Get Better and Destination Zero, the beachside, which I think's better. We did about 11 shows, and we had a, a West Coast tour books for March, and then they announced the COVID thing in February, so that kind of got cancelled, and then, of course, we did, we've did we all done the two years of the COVID business or the isolation of the year. Or, but we've been doing shows over here, and I thought, to keep the relevance of the buzzcoats, you don't just want to be doing the old Classic stuff, even though we do quite a lot, we need to do the new stuff. So, we've actually got um, three songs in the set at the moment. Sometimes on the encore, if this time we'll put another extra one in. So, four new songs off a new album, you know, quite good going. And it's been received really well, you know, it kind of fits in with all the other stuff. Not many can do that. Normally, you know, when you announce a a new song, people go, it's time to go to the bar, you know. Mm. But um, these songs, good and work and it seems like the buzzcocks now if you saw so. what I mean so it feels better for me and feels like it gives it some relevance to actually keep moving forward with the stuff you know Say-
3: My out of control
2: you don't know where I've been. ATB, I'm back again Wanna ride the wind. and a lot of these shows were doing I thought these, none of these guys have heard any of these new songs you know they've heard the single obviously, They they, they get that now but there were two songs in the set and sometimes extra one we do. They've not heard, and they've been going down really well, which is kind of really heartening, you know. And actually, you know, I mean, they're like real highlights of the set now, in a way. So that's a kind of good test, I think, you know what I mean? It's kind of, if the new songs are working, it's we're going in the right direction somewhere, yeah.
0: Yeah, so recording them, do you feel like we need to, would, would Pete Shelley uh, like this? Is this something Pete would say? You know, is this buzzcocks worthy i mean what what was your criteria for putting out songs and you know making sure that it's buzz it, it is a buzzcock song
2: it probably says a lot of shit now <laughs> <laughs> i mean you've got to remember me and pete were together 43 years i was devastated when he died he he actually came into with the last couple of shows he did just before he died he said to me i'm thinking of retiring you carry on so it's almost like he was passing me the bat. And I said, you ain't going nowhere. we got things to do.
3: Right.
2: Sadly, died. And, uh, you know, you know, the first year was very heartbreaking and very tough to deal with, you know. And it kind of still is, because he was like my brother and kind of drinking partner, you know, socially. It wasn't just like a a, a member of a group or something. So we exchanged a lot. And um, we exchanged a lot on the record. You know, that like everybody's happy nowadays. That's my riff. I well, said to him tell you that riffle, he's half a song you know that's how he worked with us with stuff and he sang my song Promises I said that was a political song about the government you put a verse and it made it a love song what are you doing <laughs> so we you know we had those kind of interaction things but suddenly it was Covid and uh, the lockdown and uh, I thought well there's nothing else to do might as well start working on an album and i couldn't listen to any buzzcock track if i heard pete's voice it'd break my heart you know i'd be in tears bits. Like, Whoa, i can't it was too raw. but i remembered elements of what we do you know not having played on every buzzcock track record and stuff so i thought i'll bring some of that with me and try and take it a little bit f- forward because i th- think some ways it's like a bridge album because i always said to people we need to go i want to go in different areas which we kind of did when you think of songs like why can't touch it which was my groove by the way and songs like autonomy i was trying to push it in different areas rather than just the linear straight ahead one So there was that, and um, I think on some levels this is a bit, a little bit internal because of the lockdown. I want to get a little bit internal with this album as well, not just the Point. With the singles that uh, centered out of control, halfway through writing the album, I had a flashback to when we started, the first day we started at the first rehearsal. And I thought, that'll never happen again. You know, we, it, we, what an amazing journey we've had and that. So... Uh sends out control, I want to make it a bit like with a little flavor of spiral scratch and a a little bit of love for all the guys that were in the band then and how we started you know so halfway through the album, I thought let's make an a song like at the beginning, you know, so that was one element of it. then we went on and there's a song called Manchester Rain, which will be the next single, and i I was doing a show at um in Manchester and it was pouring with rain, and I was just about going to the stage door, and there's these young kids there and saying, Steve, can you sign this for me now? And I looked at them, and they said, we're, we're, we're signing a band. And I thought that was me 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, with all your hopes and dreams and all this, or what am I gonna do with my life? You know, all that kind of stuff. All them fundamental questions. You know? And then somehow that song Manchester Rain came up.
3: How yeah. you solve a problem you can't explain? Stand on the corner, standing in the mantis away. And you catch a dream you you can't find? How yeah. do you catch a star that calls your name?
2: So I thought that was me standing in the Manchester rain, mm. but it could be any rain. It could be Milwaukee rain. Be... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't
1: sound as romantic. Yeah.
2: Well, it's a metaphorical rain, really. It's just standing in that when the world's against you, or you're 20 years old, or you're 18, and you're wondering what you're going to do in life and what you're going to do, you know. And you see folks all getting married, and having kids, and going, "Well, I'm not sure about that." <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody's selling me a dream I don't want to join it right now. <laughs> you know, all that kind of thing. It's like, where are you are going to fit in in life? So it's an important thing how we find ourselves in the end, or at least tolerate some kind of life that, you know, we can get by with. But it's like, all the things, you have the hopes and dreams, or you're kind of thinking, oh, and it wasn't about, that song's not about being successful in music or something. It's just about finding yourself, hence getting back to your soul. and, getting back to Plato going what is this stuff inside that we can't explain it's just that for anybody out there you know it's a universal statement standing in the rain it could be standing in any rain anyway probably in Seattle rain that would go down there wouldn't it yeah right Right. that came to me on a plate in terms of those kids and I thought there's that as well so there's some reflective internal things on this there's a lovely song called Bad Dreams on there that I like, which mm. is kind of like the old artist holding a mirror up to... So I think if, <laughs> if you're listening to that, it's kind of reflecting your own soul. It's, it's a hypnotic track, a bit trans, mm. and a bit crowd rock experimentation. It's that classic Buzzcocks Chug. There's someone, but now they're gone Having bad dreams,
3: just so hard to take, yeah
2: But I think you can get lost in yourself and hopefully it reflects something inside you where you can think about yourself as a song tourner. Who am I, what am I, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Like the having yeah. bad dreams, but now they're gone. Is that self-doubt?
2: Yeah, I mean, the guitarist said to me, the great line about that is, but now they're gone. And I thought, oh yeah, you're right. Because it's like, we all know about the bad dreams, but I'm not kind to describe me some nightmare. It's just the simple line of going, but now they're gone. Which is the release, isn't it? It's like, yeah, they do come with old dreams, you know, <laughs> the bad ones. And I would never thought about it that way, really. I mean, kind of mildly, but when he said, as, as an external listener and not me writing it, it's like, yeah, you're right. It just simply dispels that idea of its doom and gloom in it. And it's a hypnotic song, and I think you can find yourself in that song or you can get lost in your own. And a kind of classic Buscox bit of flavour to it, really, that kind of chug, you know.
0: That's true one of your guitar players you've got three new members and i mean there's well actually you've got one one new player but you've got a what what is the process of finding a new buzzcock
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that's what i thought i thought fuck how can we replace pete shelley or find somebody else as disturbed and misunderstood as we are Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever the thing was, was, I thought I'm going to have to audition around four or five guitar players at least. You can get a great guitar player, but it can be a pain in the ass, and you've got to on planes and think, you know, as a person. There's all kinds of things that make up the chemistry. It's not just the music. So, But um, I simply found a guy down the road I said, I'm looking for a guitar player. My first call, he said, I know the guy, and the guy actually lives down the road from me. <laughs> so it just works out perfect. I can't believe it. I thought I'd have to go for a lot. Having said that, he's not on this album, I mean, because we had to sort of turn it around quicker at the time, and it was kind of like, I know how the Buzzcock's guitar rhythms go and the, the riffs go, and I had 14 songs, and I thought, I can't be bothered learning them because he's only going to be playing what I'm playing because I don't know what riffs I'm going to in the studio. The exciting thing for me is I come up with a lot of the riffs, you know, the spontaneity, the... Spur of the moment. It's kind of like getting in bed with a woman for the first time. You get that apprehension and that ooh, you know. <laughs> and you kind of get that like going, fuck, I'll try this riff and you might have to roll the tape three times but by the third time I've got it. That's the riff and shouldn't it say, you know, so... It's time, and When I couldn't teach anybody that, so the bass player and drummer came in for two days, banged the rhythm tracks, and I didn't sing for months. And in between the gigs, I just went and did the guitars and the vocals. They were done in two days, and we also had two producers who couldn't make it for one reason or the other. So the manager said, "Why don't you produce this Steve?" With Lawrence, the guy down to the studio. So I did. And we've got now a, a great producing combo me and him. That all happened by mistake.
0: So you guys are kind of movie buffs in, in a way. I think I uh, wasn't ever fallen in love. That was from watching a musical, uh, Guys and Dolls, right? Yeah.
2: Mm. Mm. yeah I was in a hotel room watching that. really Stone, and Pete said, That's a great line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the rest is history, I mean.
2: It's amazing, isn't it And we language in a weird little hotel in Scotland, and that line just appeared out of the whole movie. Isn't it?
0: <laughs> Love it. I don't know if you played this. I have to ask you about the the two note guitar solo. Was that Howard or was that you?
2: No, that was Pete. That was Pete. Oh, that was Pete who did that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> now,
0: when he did that, what was your reaction like? What? What is? What's happening?
2: You've gotta remember just before that there was Jimmy Page and Richie Blackmore,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yep. And it's like, okay, we're doing this song boredom. (laughs) And here's the solo. It's like really? uh, that caught people's imagination, that minimalist stuff, you know. That was kind of weird, yeah, I remember him doing that. Then he threw the guitar down and the top half broke. So, he became known for this half guitar in the early days. In a bit of a chaotic frenzy of noise, threw the guitar down, the top half it broke off. And then he picked it up and carried on playing. And um, that became a unique thing for him. So, amazing things, these artistic things, or yeah. These natural things that happened there and played the two-note guitar solo, you know. On the B side of Senses Out of Control, there's two songs on there back of that. And one of them's called Hope Heaven Loves You, which is my song to Pete Shelley, you know.
3: Mm.
2: And it says in that, played with a broken guitar and a two-note riff solo, you know.
0: Oh, well, that's wonderful.
2: As I was doing this album in, in the song, obviously it st- was still in my heart and mind. And I thought, you know what? And it just kind of came out. I should write a song for Pete. And, and if I had consciously sat down the road, it would have been very difficult, really, to what can I write about him? Because I knew him so well, you know. But that came out, and it's kind of simple, but to the point, it, you know. Mm. But it doesn't mention that two-note guitar riff thing, you know, which blew people's minds at the time. It was like, wow, that was two notes, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But there's but a really interesting thing about a bus called I I bought a guitar for £5 pounds from a, before I was in a band when I was 16, and every time I tuned it up and I played a chord, I mean it was so cheap, it should have just been Spanish guitars a bit on the wall. It'd go out of tune. And then <clears throat> one day I learned how to play Beethoven's mind over to Joy on one string and a bit on the other. <clears throat> mm. Rather than keep tuning the guitar up, I used to yeah, attempt to tune it and then one chord and it'd go out. And come up with these little guitar motifs all the time. So usually on about two strings, you know. Like uh, uh, on songs like Pulse Beat and things like that. So, in the face of adversity and not affording a good guitar at the time, you can find things, you know, anybody out there, you can, it's looking at things in a different way, you know, suppose as, well as an artist or whatever. So, a lot of those riffs, when I eventually met the others and we met from the Buzzcocks, came from that really bad guitar and just trying to do things on a couple of notes. There's a lot of them, like, and I don't mind, this a little bit in one part but they're like a unique little guitar motif you know in each song mm. almost separate from the song in a way but mm. they're like a little tune in themselves and that for me came from those you know having that cheap guitar and not being able to keep it in tune just adapted like that it was only years later i realized that i thought fuck if i had a good guitar i wouldn't have come up with that kind of style mm-hmm. you know so true so it just shows anyone out there you don't have to have a thousand pound polar mm. which goes back to a lot of the thinking in punk it was you know it was more about a lot of imagination as well as stuff it wasn't all Sid Vicious getting pissed it <laughs> kind of sparked people's imagination that two note thing and, and things like that so we always liked to be at that also when I was 16 I had a hangover I was staying at my mum's house and she was vacuuming outside the door i well, going, I've got fucking hangover, mum. Turn that thing off, I'm laying in bed. So I got I had a nice stereo system, and I recorded it behind the door, banging the door with the hoovers. <laughs> I recorded the white noise, and then I played it back to a 100 watts or whatever it was. Going, this is what it fucking sounds like on a Sunday morning. Well, I've got a an hangover. And then I listened to it again, I thought, that's kind of white noise. That's experimental, you <laughs> know. So that... Put me on the track of noises and stuff. The vacuum, <laughs>
1: thanks, mom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, mom. To my mom. Yeah. yeah.
0: Nice check. job. Have you seen Howard DeVoto? If you reached out to him, you had an opening in the Buzzcocks. Was there, uh, a, you know, an opportunity that uh, maybe Howard might be interested in playing with the uh, with the band again?
2: Uh, no. No. I mean, it didn't even. Well, he was booked as a Buzzcocks gig, but then we turned it to Pete Shelley Memorial because mm-hmm. he just died before that gig, and we did ask Howard he didn't. He's kind of retired. He didn't. He didn't come to that, and uh, I've not seen him for years since he left the band. I've probably seen him maybe three times in my life. He did ten shows, and we did Spiral Scratch, and I I loved that. Was very inspiring to me. I think I I thought he's a cool dude. He left the band, and he formed a magazine, which I thought was great. We couldn't have carried on with him. I, I think he realised that. I mean, we we would have done, but. It, it's like going back to an old girlfriend. It doesn't work. Somebody said to me recently, would Howard come back? Could you imagine Howard singing Ever Fall In Love? And I don't think so. <laughs> <You know.
0: laughs> Is it weird for you to sing that song? You're not 20 anymore either, but you're singing these songs you wrote when you were, when you were that age. And everyone loves it. But the, how, how do you keep it going? You know, keep it fresh.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. I've heard that song all my life, and I'm going, I'm the harmony in my head. Man. I think you never fall in love. It. <laughs> yeah. You know, it used to be a running joke with me and Pete a little bit. You do the loved ones, <laughs> and I'll do the social ones. I never had them problems with girls. He did. <laughs> hmm.
0: Wow.
1: Well, kind Pete, Pete, yeah. <laughs> Pete had two
0: options going, so that was yeah. good. My <laughs> bigger pool.
1: Yeah. To draw. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: sometimes we used to have a laugh, but i changed change the word to, like, trust instead of love, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, singing that song, I know I know it well. And being Northern, I mean, kind of what I did at some point when I started doing this album was um, I thought, oh, there's no Pete Shelley. A album's Pete Shelley and then Steve Diggle's songs of Pete Shelley's. So I tried to do Bit of dynamic on that. So like a fine whiskey, I try to blend a bit of peach shelly into my voice
3: mm.
2: and find some thing. And sometimes I do it like where I, I float into a little bit of peach shelly mold and then I'll float back into Steve Diggle and Ooh. then there's an area where this third voice is coming now. So there's that as well. So singing Ever Fallen Love is very easy for me, actually, that one. And even I don't mind. Yeah. And even Why Can't I Touch It, which we didn't do that sometimes because Pete couldn't get up the notes up there. And now I'm doing, I'm thinking, I know what he fucking means. Sometimes it's like, (laughs) whoa, you know. (laughs) But being Northern, I think we've got similar voices in a way and um, it's not a problem really. I've managed to kind of find a voice that kind of works with the Pete Shelley songs because I could easily do an impression. (laughs) But then that wouldn't ring true, you know, not for me and Mm -hmm. not perhaps for the audience but I've found a blend now. And there's a little bit on this album, a little bit, sort of, bit of both. From my other songs to this album, there's a little bit of a blend of other voices in there. So the other following up's quite easy, you know. The way I can't touch it so much, but even Pete used to cancel that sometimes, Got my voice said, but that's Oh, <laughs> well, that's amazing. From the first day of the first rehearsal, I just felt like this band's got something. We kind of had songs, and the band worked right away. It wasn't like, well, oh, because we'd hear people in other rehearsal room, rooms kind of practicing the opening of a song for hours, you know, they hadn't written. And by that time, we'd written a couple of hits and our goal was we had to be at the pub at five o'clock when they opened. Yeah. So let's get this fucking hit done and let's get to the pub, which is, I guess, they kind of work like that in the 60s, you know, saying you've got 10 minutes to record this song and so... Sometimes having to work quick like that is amazing, you know. And we do that to the pub next minute, you burn it in the charts. And like, Fuck, you know, <laughs> oh.
1: it's a good goal, yeah,
2: right? Maybe well, the yeah. by five
1: o'clock, yeah. this is when we have to yeah. finish.
0: It's just motivation, know, let's
2: get this done, yeah. Never mind all that, let's get it done. The pubs are open and that kind of thing, you know. Priorities, but also, I think there's a lot of off the ball work from Pete and myself. It's who you are as people. As much as the song, you know. So if he came in with something, I came in with something, it'd be very me or it'd be very him. And then once you got the band on it, that made it into that buzzcocks kind of thing, the buzzcocks Mm -hmm. sound and stuff. It was who we are as people rather than learning chords and music and all that kind of stuff. And that was magical. And I think it happened to probably a lot of bands, but it was. As soon as we started, the hits kept coming and the songs kept coming. It was like, oh yeah, we've got to do a few new songs. No, what do you say? we've got this one. And it was like that. can't believe this. If you look on the internet, how I write a song and now it's like, oh, we didn't have time of messing about wondering how to write one. We yeah. just had to write one and get on with it. That's right. let get and on. the pubs were up. So there's a lot of that, you know. But a lot of thought internal things yeah. before it comes out. You know. And that kind of whirlwind, it does happen with magic bands, I think. You know, a lot of Great bands, it's kind of like, wow, it just seems to take off. And I think that's what Buzzcocks were at the beginning. It just went. It's like you bought a ticket a plane and it went off.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love that you're keeping the, the Buzzcocks going. The new album is called Sonic in the Soul and it comes out in September. I'm sure we'll see you in the States very soon, right?
2: Looking forward to getting back to the States. So you get many things on my Facebook and on the social media when you come in the States and it's. It's not me, it's just waiting for promoters, or, you know, all this post-Covid stuff. Right. I think um, the few people that have heard Sonics in the Soul, they, that's going down well, and the songs are going down well live there. And most people would admit to carry on with it, so carry on, Steven. I think that's what we're kind of doing. I'm pleased with the album. Somebody said there's no O's in this one. I said, well, I've got to make a, maybe on the next album, but you don't <laughs> want it to sound like the last album. Right. You're gonna take it on a journey somewhere. I made this album like a pre-70s album, where it's like, hopefully a whole meal and experience, and sonics in the soul a full. Because if you read a book, if you don't get to the end, you don't know what the book's about, you know. Remember back in the 70s, an album used to be a full experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, now kind of people, oh, I'll just cherry pick the singles off the internet. Or whatever. It would be nice to get back to them albums.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, it's like when you put, bowie's diamond dogs on us i mean it's a whole meal isn't it it's a whole thing and it used to be a groundbreaking whole meal thing and i tried to make it a bit like that so one song relates to the next one or it's kind of maybe a whole experience for 45 minutes or whatever long it is you know? all
0: right so get the vinyl buy the vinyl let's get- Yeah, the
1: vinyl the will give vinyl. us that experience yeah
0: you can go back to gardening now, or go to the pub. Back I guess you pub. your your choice.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't do any gardening, as you can see. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, then back to the pub. All right. Yeah, go back to the pub. I might go
2: back to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> On that note,
0: then. There you go. Thank you so much, Thank Steve. You. That was great. Really yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Cheers. Have a great. Uh, yeah. Good play. Yeah. Thank you. Well. Thanks, Thank Steve. Take care. Take
2: care. All right. <laughs> see you in LA.
0: Yes, for sure. Indeed. So, Steve doesn't have a nickname, does he? He's uh, he's just Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks. I want to call him the some sort of Godfather of Punk, but that's taken. Or uh, Steve Diggle is just uh, an original.
1: Isn't Diggle enough of a name that you don't ha- you don't need a nickname?
0: It is. Yeah, I know, right?
1: It's a great name. You think it might be a stage name? It should have
0: been. Yeah, the Buzzcocks should have been called the Diggles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the precursor to the wiggles,
0: yeah. To the right, you got the Ramones, you got uh, Diggles.
1: <laughs> Actually, I did watch one of their old videos where they were just singing and playing and they were all wearing the same outfit,
0: yeah. Oh, is that uh, yeah, the, the first single ever falling in love, yeah. They got the white background, they're all bunched together, yeah, yeah. Oh, phenomenal. That's what they did. They just kind of jammed together and they play their songs and it's you're in and out in three minutes. That's the beauty of a buzzcock song. Yeah. Just like the Ramones.
1: Yes. We, we appreciate the punk aesthetic, the, the three minute song.
0: Yes, we do. Another episode wrapped up. Uh, I think it was pretty good. What you think? You think uh, it's a keeper, Holly?
1: I think it is fantabulous.
0: And on uh, YouTube, you will find extra clips as well. Correct?
1: at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and also on our other social media at WDDIM Podcast.
0: A big thank you to Matt Ingham of Cherry Red Records. He helped set up this interview with Steve. And uh, as always, a big thank you to Pantheon Podcast as we are a proud member of their family. And until next week, this is Dave.
1: This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.